This is the sound of turning ideas into software. This is the sound of engineering and passion. Work. Work more. Work harder. Experiment. Build. Break. And build again. Write code. Improve it. Job done. Celebrate. Insurance. Finance. Retail. Defense. Robotics. Energy. Amethyx. Welcome back to another episode of Data Science at Home podcast. I'm Francesco, podcasting from the regular office of Amethyx Technologies based in Belgium. And welcome back, everyone, to another important year in machine learning. And not only, uh, we are back with fresh episodes, of course. And this year, we are going to start a mini-series about tiny machine learning or embedded machine learning, uh, which I personally believe is gonna be the next big thing uh, in technology. And uh, pun is not intended, uh, tiny things can be big indeed, and TinyML is indeed one of them. So in this episode, I will try to uh, give, of course, my personal opinion on the, on the matter, but also some of the important insights that uh, 2021, wow, it's so weird to say 2021 now, it's like in the past, <laughs> but in fact, 2021 was an important year for tiny machine learning, though, uh, you know, there is a continuum of events, um, there is no really uh, one year in which things happen and, and the other year where nothing happens, you know, this is kind of the result of a, a decade, in fact, of uh, optimizing and squeezing machine learning models to work on tiny devices. And so in this episode, I will make sure that this episode is self-contained for the listeners to follow. Also, non-technical people, uh, you know, they're not supposed to have been working on um, embedding system in your life. Uh, so I will make sure that this episode is for uh, pretty much everyone out there, everyone who has at least uh, some interest in data science, machine learning, and artificial intelligence. So what is TinyML? Well, TinyML, which stands, of course, for Tiny Machine Learning, is a, a pretty emerging AI technology that is promising big things because um, it is green, it is cost-effective, it is um, off-grid, and so there are a lot of good properties that one has to consider when, uh, whenever we speak about tiny machine learning. Because we have seen and we are kind of used now to these massive models, massive machine learning models, especially in the deep learning field, models with millions, hundreds of millions, sometimes even billions of parameters that need, uh, you know, a bunch of GPUs dedicated to uh, computing and, uh, of course, training for sure. But also doing inference and so we have seen several uh, you know big players in the in the GPU arena contributing with custom hardware and of course specialized algorithms um, for uh, their particular hardware and you know and this is great of course um, because many of the you know many types of calculations of computations that we couldn't do before now it's perfectly possible, but it also, you know, makes machine learning and artificial intelligence or that type of artificial intelligence kind of niche in the sense that if you do not have that specific hardware and that amount of, uh, um, you know, power at your disposal, well, 
it's going to be very hard for you to compete or stay in the market when you uh, are dealing with uh, uh, models of this caliber and, of course, of that size. Tiny machine learning, however, is kind of at the other extreme because tiny machine learning works by indeed uh, creating and uh, implementing and deploying at the end uh, tiny devices into uh, specific areas or whatever they are needed. And so tiny devices, you know, a few years ago, I would have said a mobile phone is a tiny device. Well, not anymore because mobile phones today, even, you know, I'm not speaking about the last generation phones, but even a relatively old one, and by relatively old, we mean like two, three years, they already are equipped with very powerful hardware. And, and so tiny ML is not really supposed to, you know, to be on these devices anymore. You know, we are speaking about something that is way, way smaller than an old generation phone. And so these are usually very inexpensive machines um, that usually go under the name of microcontrollers. And they're really tiny, you know, uh, they really have very, very small memory capacities for example, in the range of a bunch of hundreds of kilobytes of memory. So even the megabyte is probably not uh, off the shelf yet. And, and why is that? Is because, you know, why so tiny, you say? Well, it's because the other big constraint, and, and probably the most important one, is that they are ultra-low-power devices. So ultra-low-power devices means that they consume microwatt or milliwatt at most. And, and so that means that they can run, for example, on batteries. Uh, you know, these, these button batteries, <laughs> they're, they're shaped really like a button, uh, usually go under the name of CR2032 and they're all their families, like a, a format of batteries. And they could, you know, ideally last on, on one battery charge uh, for a year or more depending, of course, on uh, how many sensors they are equipped with and what type of computation they actually perform. But essentially, that's exactly, you know, these are the two biggest constraints in terms of um, hardware capacities and definitely memory capacity and, of course, uh, ultra-low power consumption. In addition to this, uh, tiny machines are also machines that are supposed to run off the grid, which means that they are usually not connected to the internet or to a network in general. And so they are machines that, of course, cannot use the network to, let's say, acquire some functionality uh, or, ins or extract insights from the data they have been collecting. So they have to do everything on the edge. Right, so everything has to happen on the same device, and the same device as, as I said, very small memory capacity and very small, ultra small, uh, ultra low power consumption. So, how can we perform machine learning on devices of this type? And so that's essentially the question and the the, the challenge that, in fact, tiny machine learning. Uh, wants to uh, take on in the next few years. And that's why I strongly believe that tiny machine learning is going to be the next big thing in machine learning. Now, 
When I speak about microcontrollers and on-edge compute, I do not mean the IoT type of things, you know, that, that we all know about and it's already uh, several years that they are, they're out there. These are usually, you know, when we speak about IoT devices, we usually re refer to, uh, again, tiny devices that simply collect data from sensors. And essentially what these tiny devices do, you know, more specifically in the IoT field, they send or they find a way to ship this data to a central server and then the central server is going to elaborate and, you know, do the analytics part and, you know, the kind of traditional way of analyzing data just coming from IoT devices. And so on-edge compute, however, is kind of the opposite direction in the sense that there's no central server or definitely we cannot assume there is a central server that can, you know, to which we can deposit or store the data that we collect from sensors. And there's no central, you know, server that actually performs that analytics for us. But there is only this tiny device that's the only brain power that we have at our disposal to take a decision. And the decision, of course, can be very different depending on the, the sector and the field in which these devices are performing and deployed. Back to the machine learning models that we are all used to, to see and to read on the news, especially on archive, by the way, an amazing website where you can find academic papers, but not only academic, also from, you know, papers from independent institutions, which is always good to read. Um, and most of the time, especially in the last few years, authors are also paying attention to publishing their code. And so <laughs> that's something extremely important for reproducibility. We have been speaking about this a number of times on this show. And so feel free to look at the past episodes on datasciencetom.com but of course also on Apple Podcast, Spotify, Stitcher, and all the other uh, podcast aggregators that you might think of. When we look at these you know, machine learning models, we have seen in the years, especially from 2017, 2018, a kind of an explosion in terms of number of parameters that practitioners and researchers have been considering for their models. And here I'm referring in particular to the deep learning um, research field. And so we started with, for example, ELMO back in the days, 1994. Uh, then we had this amazing flip with OpenAI um, and the GPT family of models. Uh, remember the NLP around which a lot of people have been discussing about, relatively dangerous model that OpenAI didn't want to open, <laughs> though uh, they should have changed their name into something else <laughs> because they didn't want to disclose the GPT model because it was like, you know, uh, so realistic that people would have misused or abused that model to generate fake news because it indeed it could generate something that um, was uh, pretty much uh, similar to what a human being would have been uh, generating in, in, in terms of text. Um, then we had the family of, you know, the BERT family of models, so all the transformers. Then we had GPT-2, I think somewhere in 2019, if I remember correct. Um, and that was already a relatively large model in terms of number of parameters. And then we had, of course, uh, uh, the Megatron LM by NVIDIA, and then another explosion from uh, GPT-3, uh, again from, uh, uh, from OpenAI. And uh, long story short, we 
essentially passed from uh, something like 100 million parameters to something like 175 billion parameters in just three years to 2020. So, you know, this explosion has been incredible. And, and, and so you cannot think of, of course, using these models for tiny devices. In fact, you cannot even think of using these models for uh, even your last generation laptop. Uh, if you're not equipped with at least four GPUs, and uh, you know you know what I mean, like the, the very last generation of GPUs, forget about training these models in decent time. And also the amount of data that these models need is incredible. We are uh, definitely in the realm of the terabyte. How do we solve the challenge of running these things or something similar or something with a, let's say, comparable power in terms of, you know, extracting insight from data on tiny devices? Well, there are essentially three methodologies that uh, some of which we already have discussed in this show I would love to say this last year. <laughs> uh, for example, the knowledge distillation methodology that is uh, used to identify and maintain only the most important features of a model. So on this show, I have discussed about, for example, the teacher and student model or pairs of models in which um, essentially you have a teacher model that is you know, the big fat model very deep network, a lot of parameters. And then we have a, a student model that essentially tries to, you know, mimic the the teacher with a lot less parameters and a lot less layers, um, hidden layers uh, in the architecture. And so what happened there is there is a methodology that we have discussed. I think that the I'm pretty sure that the the inspiration came from a paper by Geoffrey Hinton back in 2015. And again, there is an episode, uh, I will report the link in the show notes of this episode, um, an episode that points to the previous episode, in which indeed you can uh, listen to me again speaking about knowledge distillation and the teacher and student model pair. Another important uh, methodology is, uh, of course, quantization. And uh, and this is a very important one. I kind of hate to say, but Elon Musk uh, tweeted about it back in 2018. <laughs> he spoke about quantization. And in fact, he spoke about uh, sub 8-bit integers. Uh, or well, he wanted to well, he didn't want, I'm pretty sure that some researcher in his team uh, definitely have been thinking about that for a long time, because even a lot of researchers have been doing that uh, independently. You know, the fact that we are performing computation in floating point, it depends which precision you are using, and that will determine essentially how much memory would you need. Uh, and, you know, this has a huge impact when you are dealing with, for example, 175 billion parameters. At the same time, inference uh, time, so the time that the model takes to, for example, make a prediction, uh, is also determined indirectly by the number of bits that you are using to represent a particular floating point unit, uh, floating point number. And if you have, for example, a precision that is too big for what you need, well, then it means that you are wasting resources and definitely wasting time. So in TinyML, we pay a lot of attention to these things. We pay a lot of attention to so-called problem of quantization and to the way we want to represent 
a floating point number, you know, how much precision do we need to represent a floating point number? Because it turns out that you probably do not need 64 bits, but you probably need much less than that. Definitely 16, well, definitely 32 would be already, a, a, for some cases, would be an overshoot, but definitely 16 would still work, and uh, even 8-bit, you know, sometimes do a great job in... Um, you know, performing a prediction without losing too much accuracy. And um, in the rest, you know, in the next episode, of course, I'm going to explain and cover these topics in a much deeper detail. So stay with us because uh, this episode is not uh, the last one about tiny machine learning. There's going to be uh, a few more episodes in which I will indeed uh, touch on different um, methodologies and, uh, of course, scenarios and, of course, architectures uh, with deep learning, with off-the-shelf machine learning for embedded devices. And the last methodology that I will definitely cover in this show is uh, pruning models. So model pruning is another technique that allows someone to, you know, make the model uh, simpler by just pruning some synapses, which is some connections, and remove completely some neurons, uh, you know, not because they are just too many, but because probably those neurons do not contribute to the um, particular accuracy that you are observing for that particular model. And so if we can remove these things, you know, that we, we, we just do it because, you know, <laughs> it's like we go lighter there, right? So remember this, with tiny devices, everything counts. Even the single bit counts because, as I said, the the hardware capabilities of the devices that we are referring to when we speak about tiny machine learning is really, really small. Is really comparable to you know the the computers of the 90s or even less the, of the 80s. I remember when I started myself. I, <laughs> I actually started in 1988. Well, that was a long time ago, indeed. And uh, I, I started with a something that was called PCS86 to the next 80, uh, sorry, it was an 8088 microprocessor. <laughs> oh my God, I want to cry. Well, it had something like 640 kilobytes of memory and that was immense, an immense amount of, of memory. So imagine that today these microcontrollers sometimes have like 200K of memory. <laughs> so imagine running a deep neural network on 200k byte RAM. It's insane. Well, I'm going to show you how possible that is <laughs> indeed. It's incredible. I didn't believe it myself until I started playing with these things. In fact, I play with these things for a decade now, and I'm discovering again new hardware because, of course, hardware uh, moved forward also in that um, in that field. There has been a lot of improvement, especially when it comes to power consumption, uh, rather than uh, you know hardware capabilities and and power compute power. Let's say. So where do we use machine learning, tiny machine learning or machine learning on tiny devices? I honestly, I don't really like the name tiny ML. It's kind of diminishing. I think we should call it embedded ML. It also sounds better. 
embedded machine learning or machine learning on embedded devices. I don't know, I'm just throwing it there. What you guys think, I would be glad if you drop by the Discord channel. Uh, we have a server, of course, and uh, that's the official channel where we you can drop by for a chat, for just say hi, or discuss some of the past episodes. And uh, it would be nice to hear what you think about this naming <laughs> about StaniaML or embedded machine learning. So where do we use these things? Well, there is a ton of scenarios where you can think of tiny devices equipped with smart algorithms, because that's what it is, right? Uh, of course, uh, home automation, you know, that's the next big thing. We all know that homes are becoming smarter and smarter with all these devices that we can, uh, that are kind of becoming off the shelf now. It's much easier to find these things on the market, you know, without doing so much search uh, out there, um, from smart thermostats to your radio that becomes a phone that can help you with groceries, the, the fridge that does God knows what, and the, the, the oven that cleans itself and speaks with your wife while you're out. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But you know what I mean? Like devices are getting smarter and smarter. So, of course, in a home context, uh, you probably do not have, uh, you know, power consumption constraints. But if you move the same capabilities in another field, for example, agriculture, well, probably when you launch a, let's say, a drone in open fields, uh, well, probably that drone is equipped with or should be equipped with um, a smart algorithm or a smart brain that of course needs to run on battery as long as it can. So agriculture is definitely uh, one of the many domains or sectors in which we will see a lot of embedded machine learning in action. Another one is healthcare. Uh, imagine, you know, all these uh, medical devices, but also devices that monitor environments for uh, you know, to protect against viruses. God knows how much we have been thinking of, you know, detecting viruses in time. And the last two years have been teaching us that it is an incredibly important task to achieve and to, and to do successfully. It saves life. But think about equipment that needs to monitor the environment against, for example, uh, mosquitoes, gases, uh, pollution, uh, temperatures, and take decisions out of these measure measurements on the edge, right? There is no network, there is no satellite you can connect to and send your data to. You know, these devices are just alone. Poor things. I'm, I feel for them now. Well, anyway... You know what I mean? These are things that are supposed to stay on field for as long as possible. And so everything really counts. Everything is squeezed to the limit, right? Um, logistics uh, is another important field in which we will see embedded machine learning in action. And uh, of course, uh, industrial predictive maintenance or industrial environments in which quite some important applications are already in place uh, when it comes to automation, of course, but also quality control without connectivity. To mention yet another uh, probably very important sector in which we will see embedded machine learning in action, renewable energy. 
And so think about solar panels, wind turbines, you know, all these systems are not supposed to be connected, though they are, you know, but that connection can be broken anytime. Uh, and, you know, anything can happen in, in the environment, anything can happen in on the field. So we cannot suppose, we cannot assume that uh, a connection is all always established between these devices, and these devices definitely will rely on, uh, on a network connection. That is not an assumption anymore. So that's why TinyML or, well, embedded machine learning is extremely important because, again, it allows to run models that, you know, machine learning models that can help taking a decision, provide decision support on the edge. Wow, okay, so that was short and intense as the first episode of the year. It's not going to be the last, of course, especially not on this topic. This is one of my favorite topics, to be honest with you. And uh, this is something that we are really paying attention at Amethyx Technologies, in which we are helping out some clients with uh, embedded machine learning and uh, super constrained environments that I personally find an amazing challenge. It really looks like I'm back to the 80s or 90s where devices were not so powerful and we wanted to squeeze them to the last bit. And so that's exactly what we are going to do in the next few episodes. I hope you enjoy the show and I'll see you next time. You've been listening to Data Science at Home Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or Podbean to get new, fresh episodes. For more, please follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, or visit our website at datascienceathome.com.